Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, I hope you're doing well. You guys are looking good today. I want to welcome everybody who is joining us online. How's everyone doing? Everyone doing well? Okay. All right. Okay. That was... That was a four out of ten, but that's all right. Um, excited to have you guys. Excited uh, for what God has to share with us. Um, let me ask you a question. Did you know that the American bison, or what we call the buffalo, is the only animal that when there is a massive storm, it's the only animal that actually runs directly into the storm? It doesn't Wade, it doesn't hide. It literally runs into the storm, thereby reducing the amount of time it actually has to weather the storm, right? So if it ran with the storm, it would keep being in that storm, but it goes into the storm. And the reason why I told you that is because I need you to be like the buffalo today. We are starting a series called Shame, friend or foe, and it is going to stir up some memories. It's going to stir up some things inside of each and every one of us already has, and I need you to understand that like the buffalo, we have to go right into the pain and difficulty and hardship that we might discover exactly what God is after in our hearts and our lives, and it is going to be, in my opinion, the next four weeks are going to be powerful for all of us. Now, not sure how you come into your understanding of church or a body. Let me, let me give you some, just some encouragement, some coaching from what I've learned. And one of the things that I've learned is that in a season or a particular portion of time, God begins to speak things to a body. That's why I believe God calls us to bodies or houses of worship, because in that place, God is laying something down. He usually is stringing pearls together if you're paying attention. So I don't know how many of you have all of the notes from this year or prior years if you've been coming for a while, but I can tell you this, God has treasures for you. And so I just want to encourage you. He has been stringing pearls together this entire year, and he's doing it because he's after something in us individually and corporately. Now, we started this year talking about Jesus, pretty good subject in church, right? And we talked about the, really the, the historic and Hebraic perspective of Jesus so that we could have depth of understanding, and there was quite a bit covered in that process of time. We talked about intimacy, sonship, we've talked about priesthood, the priesthood of believers, that we are kings and priests in God's kingdom. This last few weeks, we talked about the oil of gladness, the oil of consecration, the oil of the Holy Spirit. All these things are needed and necessary for what God wants to do on the earth at a specific time through a specific group of people. So let me just encourage uh, you in that. And also, we are starting a series directed by the Holy Spirit called Shame, Friend or Foe. And I believe God, something, God is after something in this entire series. Now, here's what's going to happen. These 
messages will be sequential, meaning that they're going to build on each other. And that's important because I'm just going to encourage you, try to make it every single week. Be looking for the Easter egg, so to speak, that God is highlighting to you. He wants to say something to you. He cares about you. He's emphasizing that, all right? Here's how it started. Uh, for the last several months, I've been praying and asking the Lord, for the next 25 years of my life, I want to experience more joy. I want to experience more life than I ever have. And I've been involved in ministry for plus 20, 25 plus years, and I've, I've done some things. I've traveled all over the world. Uh, I've been in 16 countries is how I started off. But if I was to really express that time and, and basically God moved me into corporate world and some of the things that accomplishments or success that were there, the truth is there was not the fullest measure of fun and joy and life in those times. So I began to pray about God the next 25 years. And so a few weeks went by. And then I felt like the Lord said to me, hey, let's get started. And I was like, what are you, huh? What are you talking about? He's like, let's get started. Remember what you prayed and asked me? Let's get started on that right now. And I was like, okay. And he said, hey, I want to unmask some motivators over the course of your life where there have been mixed motives behind even some of your best efforts. Because I want to chart a path to fun, to joy, to wholeness. And I believe as he started to really reveal some things to me, so sweetly, so kindly, I think you're going to find in some of the ways that he spoke to me that they're going to be helpful for you. So this is a conversation that the Lord began to have, made me take some honest inventory about some recurring problems that have come up over the last 35 plus years of my life. But I felt like, like a surgeon with a scalpel. God went into my soul and basically just so kindly. Remember, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. He was so kind. It's like he took me by the hand and said, hey, let's look at this. And then he showed me exactly what I was after. So the first thing he, he pointed out was my sensitivity to anything resembling criticism. I'm sure that's none of you. But my inability to bear even the mildest criticism that produced at times, these overreactions in me, I'd hear an innocent question or a comment, and I would, I would see it as criticism. I might have been away on a trip, and my wife may have said, hey, after I've returned from the trip, the kids, they've really missed you this week while you were away, in which I, I heard, you are a bad father, through the voice of accusation. Uh, times of failing, where I felt like a failure, right? And so... In that moment, I would double down. Sometimes I'd work three times as hard. I'd listen to, I mean, three times as much information and books just so that I could get rid of this, this gnawing voice in my head that I wasn't measuring up. And I was going to do everything in my own strength to counter that voice like a maniac. No joy, no peace, no fun. Doing things to help others be successful so that I would be a success or look like a success. Feeling good about myself, so self-focused and self-centered. Not that it's not great to help people be a success, but was my motivation me? Difficulty speaking the truth to people at times. Did I need everyone to like me? I lose my authority, my voice, oftentimes losing myself. Um, 
my, what seemed like an incredible ability to point out the speck in everyone else's eye, while missing the large logs in my own eyes, which I could see in my life, maybe you can too, where you're easy and quick to criticize and complain and, and challenge and be resistant to other people. Feeling like you were the master at pointing out deficiencies, like it was some sort of God-breathed gift to the earth. But sometimes I found it was my spouse who I would point out these deficiencies instead of encourage her, encouraging her in all of her strength. And in reality, I was really pointing out the areas in my life by shifting and blaming it on her because I wasn't happy with me. She was happy with herself, but I didn't see it having vague boundaries in my life, saying yes to every request or somebody needed assistance financially. I learned how to you know, basically respond in my vague boundaries to people's requests for those needs. And to be honest with you, I gave away uh, a lot of what God had given to my family in this, this gnawing, pushing to kind of give to others because that's what I should do. Caring for others and taking on the weight of the world. Have you ever felt over-responsible for others' burdens? I mean, I, I don't know about you. I am a horrible Savior. Like, I am not a good Savior. Jesus is a good Savior, but I have certainly tried. Maybe you have. Taking on more than really is being asked of you. We're all a part of helping to bring freedom and liberation, but we're not Saviors. Again, snapshots, turning down honors and gifts. Was I really being noble and humble, or was I unconsciously thinking that I don't deserve such gifts and honors? Why not? You know, think about some of your financial blessings that have come. Is there something inside that says, what, I, I don't deserve this? What is that voice? Relying on fear to keep me from addictive behaviors. Have you ever felt successful, but inwardly you felt like an imposter? Like, I'm not as smart as you think. What the heck am I doing in this position, holding back from true greatness? Was there something in me that was shying away from ultimate success? Was there times when that success, I would find myself self-sabotaging? A lot of questions. The Lord was, was stirring in me, and then he pointed at it. Just simply, he just pointed at it. He said, it's shame. It's what it is. Shame. That's the root of this thing. It's contaminated shame. Shame is that 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 inward feeling of being flawed, right? Not, not measuring up. It's, it's sometimes in our, in our conscience, sometimes it's in our subconscious, but something is wrong, but something is wrong with me. I'm dishonorable, I'm detestable, I am inadequate, right? All of us have felt it. I'm different, I'm damaged, I'm dangerous. But we, we find that our way of coping with this is sometimes unique in that we either try to be better, do more, achieve more, succeed more, or we acquiesce to not measuring up and so we're just going to be bad and we're just going to be rebellious and we're just going to be crazy. I mean, when did, when did shame sneak into my soul? When did it sneak into our souls silently? subtly dictating the direction of our lives, dictating so many of our thoughts and emotions. It hides, it conceals itself. It's like secondhand smoke from the polluted atmosphere of this fallen world. But some of you, most people don't think, I don't have, 
don't have shame issues. But the truth is, is that all of us do, to some extent. Shame is everywhere. Can you even imagine not feeling shame all the time? Imagine having no need to put yourself or others down because you feel so good about yourself. Imagine being able to enjoy your friends, your family, your spouse, instead of relegating them to the back burner to pursue your next accomplishment, your next deal, your next award. Imagine feeling no terror at the thought of bearing your soul to a confidant. Imagine the return of a deep belly laugh. Imagine your, your thirst to hide in booze and drugs the adult channel, getting a fixation, a validation from some of these sources or numbing, right? Uh, shopping binge or whatever numbs your hidden anxiety. Imagine it gone, quenched by streams of living mercy. Would you be shocked if I told you that that's what life is supposed to feel like? Title of this first message is created to be shame-free from the enemy. And we're going to start in Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 8 says this, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The story starts out with two trees in the middle. Both of them are in the middle of the garden. I find that interesting. You may have walked in and noticed as you were coming through the lobby, that there were two trees in the middle of the lobby. There's a reason for that. But there's two trees in the middle of the garden that challenged the course of the entire human race. The tree of life and the tree of death. Or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like trees are significant in scripture. Every time you see something significant happening in scripture, there's trees involved. Trees. Branches, bush, root, fruit. It's always there. And usually if there's some sort of miraculous, powerful moment, you'll always find a very small tree, a small bush. You can look at that later at home. But metaphorically, these same two trees continue to be the challenge that will determine the course of our lives. Right? One of these trees and the fruit from it is either going to cause us to be self-centered, self-focused, self-righteous, self, self, self. Or we're going to eat from the tree of life that causes us to be connected to the source of life, centered on the sun, interested and surrounded by the one who has created life, life, life. Not rules, not religion, life, life. God invites us to eat from the tree of life. Here's point number one, God's original design. God's original design for humanity. This is his blueprint, his schematic for us. Uh, point, sub-point number one under God's original design is we are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. We, we bear the image of God. Genesis 1, through 28, God says this, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God makes man in his image, in his likeness. Well, what is that? Well, that is confident, beautiful, creative, loving. That's the, the likeness and image of God. That's, that's your likeness and image, my likeness and image. So he makes man 
And remember, God is an emotional, social, relational being. He makes man with emotions, dreams, passion, creativity, ideas. This is, this is his design. This is his image. And he designed us so that we would represent God, his beauty, his confidence, his creativity to the world. God's good. That's his essence. We're saying it. It's his nature. His nature is beauty and goodness. Is that how you see him? Well, this is how he is, how he's described. Subpoint number two, whatever God makes is good. Genesis 131, God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. In Hebrew, the word there means to be in harmony with God, fit for its purpose. Everything that God made is very good. So God's view of man, God's view of you is very good. That's how he sees us. He doesn't make trash. He makes people that are unique, but they are very good. Are you in agreement with that? Are you in alignment with that each and every day that you wake up? Or has some of the stories that have been thrust upon you in this life, do they cause you to counter this reality? Third, third sub-point, God clothed man with his glory. So how could man and humanity be good, be beautiful? Well, God wraps them in glory, wraps them in honor. Let's read it, Psalms 8, 4 through 6. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet, you made them only a little lower than God. Some of your Bibles might say angels, but that uh, literally translates to Elohim. A little lower than God. The Bible talks about, in different places, that the angels look at you and I as uh, ones who are created in the image of God, who bear the image of God, that they're, they're looking at us like, wow, they can't even wait to see the spirit of God living on, on the inside of us. Like they've got a little bit of, of jealousy towards us. So it says, yet you've made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge or dominion of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. So this word, he crowned them with glory. It's the Hebrew word kabod. It means splendor, dignity, goodness. Gave us a reputation, Right? Psalms 104, 1 through 2, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. So imagine this. God creates humankind, and he wraps them in light. This is, this is his original design. He wraps them in glory. He wraps them. In honor, he wraps them in light. The word uh, honor is hadar. In, in the Hebrew, magnificence, majesty, splendor, splendor, highest value. Are you getting an idea of how God created you and I? Are you seeing it? Is that what you exalt? Lift, is that what you lift up on high each and every day? Remember when Moses said, God, show me your glory? God said, I will. I'm going to pass by you with all of my goodness. So Adam and Eve's whole bodies are radiating the presence. The, they're emitting light, the goodness and glory of God. 
And then the fourth subpoint: man felt no shame. Genesis 2.25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. How? They're wrapped in light. They are wrapped in intimacy and identity and connectedness. Adam and Eve are drawing their life and their identity from the one who created them. They're in relationship with God. No fear, no shame, walking with him, totally shame-free. Presence of God is empowering them at this point to live free. That's Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That's a perspective, by the way. But here's point number two. A detour through disconnection. Genesis 3, which is also a perspective. You know the story. Now the serpent was more cunning, subtle, sly, sleek than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, as God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Wasn't talking about physical death, but there was a disconnection a disconnection from God. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Wasn't untrue, right? And you will be like God. They already were like God, knowing good and evil. They're wrapped, clothed in glory and honor. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They felt something change, something's different. So what happened? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Bust Chuck. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, Bus Chuck, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Look at this process. They made a choice. God gives us a choice because of relationship. Two trees in the middle of the garden. They had a choice to, to connect and believe everything that God had said about them or to listen to a creature, a created thing. And this choice is ours. Listen to what people speak about us situations and circumstances, things that have been done to us, the parents who did not give to us the love that they should have given to us. They, were, uh, they abandoned us. Uh, uh, the shameful situations that we have actually participated in. The shameful acts of family members. Could be prison, could be suicide, it could be uh, drug addiction, whatever it is, shame. And their eyes are opened in this moment of choosing death. Their eyes are open. And what happens? They see. It's not, it's not about genitalia. It's about the fact that Adam and Eve, they were different. 
Their parts were different up until that time. They're clothed in the glory of God, seen accurately, but now they're different, and so they cover. They cover. I'm defective. We're, we're damaged goods, and they hide. We, we're dangerous, man. We're, we've done something wrong. And then what do they do? What we do. Same process. Our eyes get open. We feel, right? Emotion is, is energy and information. Energy first. We, ugh, we feel something, then it, it communicates. They shift their shame to blame. Some of what I described. Shame comes in, and what do you do? You shift it to somebody. You got you to gotta get it on somebody else so that you can contend with who you are. But this event right here, this event turned our world into a war zone. This participation, it released a contaminated shame into the atmosphere. The enemy takes that shame. He contorts it. He uh, contaminates it. He counterfeits it. And he uses it as a weapon against humanity. That shame that gets stamped on your and my soul. That, that virus that attacks this operating system. Remember, going back to point one, God's original design to bear his image, to be image bearers, to uh, display the goodness, the beauty of God. But as, as this, this secondhand smoke creeps into our atmosphere, it starts laying a defective schematic over the top of all of us. And those questions that we're asking at a young age, am I, am I lovable? Am I valuable? Instead of, of connecting to the source of life, we, we start listening, culture, social media, treatment by, by, by others, what other people have said to us, what, what has happened or didn't happen to us, like I said earlier. And as I was looking at this, I felt the Lord speak and say something to me. And it's very unique. I had never had these thoughts before. This is what he said. He said, Brad, shame is not an enemy to defeat. Shame is an emotion to understand. He said, Satan did not create shame. I did. Satan counterfeited it. He contaminated it. And he weaponized it. And it is his primary weapon to create instability in humanity. Now, Probably like you. Wait a minute. Wait, hold on now. You said that Satan didn't create shame. That's right. Because Satan can't create anything. The only thing he can do is counterfeit it, contaminate it. So what was in that tree got released on the earth. The tree that God said, hey, don't eat it and don't touch it. You can't handle it. But they did. And the enemy immediately contorts it. And weaponizes it. But I believe there's a side that we're going to see and we're going to talk about. But it's, it's an emotion that we have to understand. And so just so I can give some clarity, remember God, to, to those of us who understand Scripture, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn. So, so Brad, what, what would you liken this this? non-contaminated shame to this godly shame. I'd liken it to an indicator or warning light on the dashboard of your car. When your check engine light comes on or your oil light comes on or your gas light comes on, I know some of you just keep driving, but it's there to communicate that you need something. 
that, that you need to look into it. And all of us have felt the energy and information at times of decisions that were unwise. We felt that. And God doesn't condemn. He doesn't shame. He's the glory and the lifter of our head. So we'll talk more about that. But the enemy contaminated shame. Now, we live in an anti-shame zeitgeist. So many great authors, so many great researchers, so many great TED Talks, so many great speakers on the subject, and I'm with you. I'm there. I wrote in my journal, I hate shame, and then God calibrated me with, with that statement. I was, what will I do with this, God? But he said, hey, remember, Brad, psychologists don't create anything. They don't. All they do is discover things. And I was reading, probably like you, authors like Brene Brown, uh, great books on the subject like The Soul of Shame, and others, many, many others. But one thing that I started to realize is that if we don't properly calibrate this, we're going to resist and, and try to destroy something that will not be destroyed. But when we see contaminated shame correctly, we'll understand that God is the creator, period, point blank, and he has all wisdom, all power, and all authority. So how do you see shame? Who told you? And this is a question I'm asking for me and, and for us, is how God sees shame, how you see shame. Remember Psalms 121, 1 through 2 says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So we need clarity and we need calibration. Listen, I've got some great statements by Brene Brown. I think shame is, she says this, I think shame is lethal. I think shame is destructive. And I think we're swimming in it deep. I agree. But the contaminated shame of the enemy. She warns how shame is the gremlin that laughs and plays two tape recordings in our mind, never good enough, or who do you think you are? It's true. There's truth here. But I believe that there is a complete understanding that the God of the universe wants to give to us. Are you, are you willing to discover and to look at it? Yes, I answered for you. All right, so what happens? Adam and Eve, they lose their covering. Their clothing is wrapped up by this shame. And disconnection sets in. They become focused on self. Uh, they become conscious that something is wrong with them. So think about it. Now, there's, there's two ways that, that we approach shame in our lives. Work harder. Achieve more. Drive. Drive. Drive so that I can prove that I am worth something or I can't do any of that, so I'm just going to be bad. The rebellious son, it's depicted in the story of the prodigal son. One son, just give me my money, goes, goes crazy clubbing, partying, whatever it is, right? Promiscuity, right? Tries to, and then the other one who's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work to earn this thing. And both of those positions are people who are sucking in contaminated shame. And the enemy torments Adam and Eve like he's tormented us. Torments us. Got to do more. Got to read more. Got to pray more. Got to, got to earn this. You got to be better. You're going to show up. And it, it begins to be religion, or it begins to be this, this, this thing, and you don't even recognize it. You can't, like I said earlier, you can't even be near your children because that push to be a success and what it means to you 
that, that voice of accusation and shame is driving you. And Satan accused both Adam and Eve. He belittled them in their condition. It's what Revelation 12, 10 says. He says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. This is important because we have to identify the enemy. We have to identify his voice. He brings accusations. Zechariah 3 talks about this. It says that God, he rebukes Satan. He rejects every accusation goes on to depict in this, in this passage of Scripture that the angel of the Lord he says, take off your filthy clothes and, and put on these fine garments. Again, back to what I, de- I was saying to you earlier about being clothed in honor and glory. This is who you are. This original design is how God sees you, but shame wraps itself around. The enemy, with both the information that you are damaged, defective, a danger. He, he communicates and he robs us. He robs us of a couple of things because that contaminated shame is a thief. He robs us of identity. He robs us of intimacy. Think about some of the things that you've done in your past. You're telling me he's not trying to label you so that you think that's who you are? Some of you who have been abused, some of you who the only way you knew how to receive love is, is from a distorted, contaminated view of something beautiful that God created, sex. So promiscuity is your way of expression because that's the only way you know to love. You're not screwed up. You need to unlearn some things and learn some things. You're valuable. You are lovable. And that is a distortion. You're not bad. Men seeking validation from pornographic images and videos. And they drop their heads in shame, contaminated shame, that says, you are disgusting. You are gross. And they hide and they cover. No, nobody is validating that activity. But that behavior, under the contaminated shame of the enemy, He's seeking to destroy you. Because in reality, you're not going to find validation through images. You won't find validation completely from the opposite sex. There is one source for validation. God. The tree of life. And he desires to come alongside you as you have the confidence to step into intimacy And agree with the identity that he's given to you to say, I am beautiful, I am good, I need to develop and train in order to overcome this voice that has been whispering whispering to me. See, if we live in a Genesis 3 fallen world perspective, then we'll constantly be in justification rather than looking for the indications so that we can come back to Genesis 1 and 2. Does that make sense? Being created in the image of God, the beauty and the goodness of God. And that brings us to point three, which is back on track. God's original design, a detour through disconnection, right? Jesus paid it all. We sing the songs. He forgives. He redeems. He restores. The narrative of the entire scripture is bringing those stories back, right? The story of Hosea and Gomer. God redeems you and restores you. What is a restoration of a car or a motorcycle? Bringing it back to its intended beauty. 
That's what Jesus did. So sometimes we forget the original design and we get stuck in Genesis 3. But this is God's picture of you and I. That's why we remind you, this is who you are. Yeah, but Brad, before I walked in this place, you don't have any idea. This is who you are. We don't agree with the whispers of the accuser who seeks to throw dirt all over us and then declare like a bully and a taunting giant, you're dirty. You're not. You're everything that God says you are. You're beautiful. Let's talk about that. Not seeking justification or trying to get around a bunch of people who say like, no, no, we got to get acceptance because look, we're, we're all like in this thing. We're going to identify. It's an idol. You're making an idol out of something. All idolatry is is intimacy within an Im in image. That's it. You got it. Your attention and, 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 and perspective or, or your, your focus is on the wrong thing. God's trying to get your focus on this over here. This is who you are. This is your design. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. I know. Simple, not easy. But that's the reality. So back on track. Well, what's, how do we get back on track? We get back on track by, number one, being connected. Right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So removing the masks, living out your true identity as a child and representative of God. Going against the, the, the natural inclination, which is to cover and to conceal who we are. We can't connect properly that way. And what you're going to find in this church, and what you're going to find on the face of the earth, is that all of us have some dirt. All of us have some things that we're not proud of. Right as I was going through this, the Lord was highlighting me. Maybe you grew up in a church like I did where I have, I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually embarrassed and in shame, ashamed of some of the things I saw. And the Lord's like, hey, can we talk about that? Listen, there, there, there were some ways that I saw things expressed that, that, that made me embarrassed. Like if somebody was to ask me, I'd be like, I'm not, I don't really want to tell you about that. And God said, hey, we're doing something here. I want, I want you guys as a church and as a body to truly understand the beauty and the goodness of the Holy Spirit. I, I get that you've seen some, something on TV or some expression. All that is is contaminated shame of the enemy to get you to not see the beauty of the Holy Spirit, the greatest guide and teacher ever. We get it. Who grew up seeing the Holy Spirit as that weird uncle you don't want to talk about? Like we, okay, just me. It was just me, apparently. Connected. And shame that the enemy tries to levy on us always disconnects us from God. Because it communicates lies to us to tell us that we aren't, aren't valuable or God is looking out. But here's, here's the good news. God is always speaking. God is never condemning. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. He's so kind to us. And in that connection, he desires for us to know more about ourselves, to see some things that sometimes we don't want to look at because he's such a good father. And the second thing it does is it breeds confidence. When you have confidence to know that God sees you as valuable and lovable, then you're willing to be connected and have conversations. And once you know his character, you're not scared because he may point to a few things that aren't producing health in your life. But he does it in such a way that he puts his hand on your shoulder or he holds your hand and says, hey, listen, this, this, let's just talk about this. So when, when we try to live outside of that connection, we start coming up with all kinds, like I said, of justifications for things. Hey, I get it. But that is self-effort. That is self-focused, and it will lead to a, a, a pride of self-righteousness. 
And, and third, what, it, what happens when we get back on track is we get our creativity back. You know, we're all geniuses. You know, I said this on Thursday night, but listen, this is the way we view it, right? You are the superstars of this church, scripturally. People who are here as pastors, we just equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You're the superstar. I get that we're on an elevated platform. It's just so that you can see us. But in reality, you are the superstars. It's our job to equip you, help you to see the accusations of the enemy that have tried to rob you of connection, identity, intimacy, so that you can go be creative and express the purity of, of God's uh, image in you. Whether that's graphic design or cooking or whistling, it doesn't matter what it is. Right? We don't regard anyone after the flesh, we read in 2 Corinthians. But we do release you according to the plan and the purpose that God has for you. So we're creative, touched by the divine, as one interpretation goes. I like what Albert Einstein said. He said, right, if you judge a fish's uh, ability to, uh, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you're going to think it's stupid. So what happens in our, in our self-efforts is we try to conform. We, we compare ourselves, shrinking back from who God made us to be, shrinking back from his design, because something was said over us, somebody said something, or we're, we're looking online and the enemy is just breathing contaminated shame. And so we don't show up in who God made us to be. We're not confident. We're not creative. We're conforming and comparing and covetous. Or we get cocky, trying to, to show off. It's just, it's just a, an inflated sense of self. But God wants us to arise out of that. Do you believe that? Like God's original design is what he was trying to get us on back, back on track with in Jesus. He knew that there would be a choice made. He saw that because he wanted humanity to choose love and life. And it means that we have to realize that we've been eating from a tree that is not producing Life beyond our wildest imaginations. Here's how we're going to end. I was having a conversation with a gentleman in our church who served our country for 16 years in the U.S. Army. had been in several combat tours, and he told me, he said, Brad, you know, one thing I noticed is that when, you go, when you're in the Army or in the armed forces, everybody's a soldier when they, when they get in, but not everybody's a warrior. And when he said it, it really kind of sparked my heart. I was like, you know, that's the number one metaphor for believers in Scripture is a soldier. We're all soldiers, but we're not all warriors. Warriors is an understanding that we're at war. It's a mindset. It, it understands that there is an enemy who seeks to levy accusations, and a warrior understands that God rejects every accusation of the enemy. And Jesus stands as our advocate, not our accuser, pleading and declaring our innocence because of his blood. His blood speaks in the throne room of heaven. But I believe today as we start, God wants to awaken the warriors in this place. That's where we have to start. Remember the story in 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. Goliath is a bully. He's taunting. The Bible says for 40 days, every morning and every night, 
he is taunting the Israelite army. And they are shamed. They're hiding in fear. And, and he is winning, so to speak. But one warrior walks in. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Way to call it right for the privates. I mean, scripture, right? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares defy the armies of the living God? And he takes his creativity, he takes his confidence, picks up a sling and a stone, and he cuts his head off. And in the, over the next four weeks, God's after us, cutting the head off the thing that has been robbing you of confidence, connectedness, and creativity. If a snake was to slither into your house, headed for the crib of your child, what would you do? Would you grab a shovel, cut off its head, or would you run away? I believe that in this place, we've got some people who are sick and tired of putting up with the garbage in their lives. Sick. They, they want to see the restoration and reformation. Yes, you're wor you work hard and you're producing things, but it's not who you are. It's an expression of your creativity. Don't use it as the enemy desires, as a weapon, so that it can be a label that this, you're enough. You're enough. No, you're enough because God created you in his image and his likeness. And I want to remind you, confession means to agree with. I want to remind you of some passages of scripture, and then we're going to stand, and I'm going to declare something over you. But as warriors, we have to train. We have to, to use the right motivation, the right heart. Proverbs 18, 14 says, The strong spirit of a man sustains him in bodily pain or trouble, but a weak and broken spirit, spirit who can raise up or bear? James 4, 7 says, Be subject to God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him. He'll flee from you. 1 Peter 5a, be sober, be vigilant. Wake up and watch. Don't drift into la-la land because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You're going to have to fight. You may not like that metaphor. You may not like that picture. But that is what scripture tells us. If you're going to come into agreement with the God of the universe over your life. If you crave connection. If you crave creativity. If you crave confidence. Not in and of yourself. Not in and of your bank account. Not in and of your appearance. But if you crave at the depth of your core. Then I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand to your feet right now. As a warrior. If you don't want to be a warrior, stay seated. But right now, if you're tired of the way that the enemy has come against you, I'm about our altar ministry team to come up to the front. And if you are exhausted, if you have been getting your rear end handed to you and you're tired of it, then I just want you to come down to the front. Just walk. You can walk down to the front right now. Right now. No shame. Walk down to the front. I'll, I'll stay here because I could, I could tell you the times in my life, but don't sit there. Don't wait. When God's speaking, respond. Respond. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what it is that someone has done to you. God offers you freedom. God offers you hope. God offers you revelation. And if you desire...
the freedom. I'm going to read this over to you. It's from Psalms 27.1. This is the confession of a warrior. The Lord is the strength of of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. I've got a promise. Turning back is not an option. There's a calling on my life, and I'm not about to drop it. I got this. For this I was chosen. The final word over me was spoken. Before I was born, I have purpose that goes far beyond what I want, what I feel, what I see, and what they say cannot be. With God, all things are possible. And when my desire aligns with the divine, I'm unstoppable. In this, I will be confident. Of course the climb is hard. I'm not surprised. The dream is difficult by design to make sure I rely on His might, not mine. His plan, not mine. His hand, not mine. My assignment was conceived in His heart, His mind, and the blessing ahead will always be greater than the battle behind. So this is not the time to compromise or entertain a thousand lies and a million reasons why I can't or it won't or it's not or I'll never. I've heard it before. So shut up, devil. God didn't say he'd make it easy. He said he'd make me better, make me strong, and give me grace to carry on. No matter what the opposition, I only need one weapon. I have the faith to overcome. In this, I will be confident. I'm too close to quit, and the stakes are too great for me to hesitate. So whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I'll keep coming. I'll show up. Take the shot with hands shaking. The fear is real, but it won't break me. God will not fail me nor forsake me. I'll keep coming. I'll step to the battle like it's already won, like I got the enemy on the run. I speak and believe like it's already done in this. I will be confident. He made me a promise. He gave me a calling. I know that he's able to keep me from falling. I focus my hope. My excuses are gone. The moment to prove the power of God has come. He made me a promise. He gave me a calling. I know that he's able to keep me from falling. I focus my hope. The past is gone. The moment to prove the power of God has come this I will be confident. The time is now. The odds are long. The haters are loud. The pressure is on. But devil, you mess with the wrong one. I got my sling. I got my stone. And in the name of my God, I will overcome. In this, I will be confident. Church, I need you to worship. Worship is one part adoration, one part assault. Lift your voice. Come into agreement with everything that God says. Let's worship.